Hey everyone, welcome to Cold Red. I am James R. Fitzgerald, Jim Fitz, Fitz for short. And as always with me on the other side of the screen is my good friend and fellow FBI agent retiree, Ray Carr. How are you today, Ray? Good, Jim. Uh, good to see you, as always. Good to see you, too. Uh, it's been a tough uh, week uh, and a half or so regarding some things happening in the Middle East, which, of course, we know is also impacting our uh, our former agency and uh, multiple agencies in the U.S. and our military in terms of keeping us safe. And um, I'll let you open with uh, any thoughts or revelations you have about uh, what's happening over there and what's happening over here. You know, uh, and I, I know you went through the N.A. I did, too. Uh, and there was two people from Israel. We should explain uh, National Academy. The FBI National Academy, which is a uh, school, a 10-week school at the FBI Academy, where they bring in police commanders uh, and top military officials from foreign countries all around the world. And during my class, there happened to be two of the individuals there. And through some pages on Facebook and things of that nature, uh, we've kind of you know, hey, how are you? How you doing? And although it's been, you know, 11 years, 12 years since I've been down in the FBI National Academy, I know it's been much longer for you because you did that before you became an agent. But I know the invasion of Hamas. And when you look at Hamas and you look at terrorist organizations, they have two things on their mind and two things only. Number one, they want to expand their power in the area where they, where they work. And number two, they want to kill Jewish people. And I don't think that is just in that area. I think that's throughout the world. So there's a couple issues that I see here. Uh, and one of the things, Jim, is that concerns me is how many of these supporters of Hamas and Hezbollah are living right here in the United States. Uh, over the last three years, we've opened up our borders. So. I'm really unaware, and I don't think the FBI... Right. You say opened up our borders. There essentially is no southern border. You're right. You're right. And our uh, customs and ICE and Border Patrol do their best, but it's a wide open sieve. And rumors are up to 7 million people in the last three years, and about 80% of them men of military age, basically 18 to 35. We could have an entire invading army living on our soil right now, just preparing for the right time, the right place. Don't want to scare folks out there. This isn't conspiracy or paranoia stuff, but the numbers can't escape us. And uh, and my point is, this, this, this podcast is about victims and keeping victims safe and dealing with them after the fact, but certainly before the fact, we all have to be prepared here and keep our eyes and ears open. Well, you know, Jim, you know, I, we're not trying to instill fear here, but talking to guys that I still know that are on the job and working these type of cases, that's just their concern. Their concern is the same darn thing that, hey, what the hell are we doing uh, letting these letting these people come in without vetting a single one? And I know there's there's numerous, numerous individuals that have been on the terror watch list that we've identified. But how many? have gotten through that we missed or misidentified. I mean, to me, when we go all the way back to when they first discovered this country, people came from a lot of different countries in Europe and all these places, and they brought their way of life with them. They didn't leave it in the other country and adopt this country's way of life. The same thing is happening here. They're coming here. And they're bringing their culture with them, their ideologies, and all these other things that they do. They, they do, And then you look back and you see, which is concerning, just with, within, the, within our, our House of Representatives, there's individuals that are espousing uh, support for what's happened. And then you have people on campuses that are saying anti-Semite and, and saying things where they want to destroy Israel. And, um, you know, I'm all about free speech. I mean, that's what makes this country so great. 
say what you want. But then again, what about, and I don't know if you, you heard this, but there was employers in some of the big companies that said, uh, you know what? Um, I'd like to know the names of those people that are protesting that want to kill Jewish people because I don't want them working for me. You know, and you know what, Jim? I support their right to have that have that view as well. So you can't have it both ways, you know. So, um, I and I worry, Jim, uh, and our audience, and I worry that if there is a war uh, or something breaks out with one of these countries, those people from that country that are here in America, who are they going to fight for? Good question. Uh, this country has been a melting pot since its early days. And yeah, I agree with you that people brought their culture with them. But in the early days of this country, it really had no identity. And of course, through the uh, American Revolution, and it, it, it sort of developed its own personality, breaking away from the taxation of, of King George and et cetera. And then America had sort of its own uh, demeanor, uh, far from perfect. Uh, it, we made mistakes in our early days, but but people were generally proud of being part of this country. I remember as a young kid meeting schoolmates uh, who their parents were born in Germany or Italy, and they they absolutely forbade their kids from speaking the native tongue. No, you're an American now. You speak English. Nothing but that. But mom and dad and grandmom and grandpa would speak Italian or German or Polish, whatever, to themselves. Nowadays, you know, it, it's... It's not, and, and you know that was fine then. And nowadays, you don't see that as much. And you see some of these enclaves in our cities, um, where in fact the culture is strictly what it was twenty and thirty and fifty years ago. And a lot of problems they look to escape are now in these enclaves. Uh, it's not quite as bad in the U.S. as it is in Paris and some other European cities, where you the police can't even go into certain areas and certain neighborhoods. And Ray, we didn't create this uh, cold red podcast to get into geopolitics or not too heavy there. And, no, and, no. and we're not going to tonight, but this really comes down to us protecting ourselves and hopefully our FBI, our friends that we still know, uh, you know, diligently working long days and, and nights and weekends that they can look for these, first of all, these organized uh, approaches like we had on 9-11 where 20 pilots that wound up being 19 in the end were a very much part of a... Uh, a uh, coordinated effort to bring down as many buildings as they could, including the U.S. Capitol, if that extra plane didn't go into the field in Pennsylvania. Um, so we have to worry about that type of attack here, but times probably a hundred, considering all the people that have been in this country since 2021. But there's also that lone wolf person out there who is taking orders or directions from no one, but lives his, usually his, but potentially her whole life on the internet, following different things that are happening, looking for these orders, these days of jihad, like it was last Friday, which fortunately, in, at least in this country, not too much happened, uh, nothing of significance anyway. But they don't wait for specific dates or orders in that regard. They just come out. And I, I think I was one of the first person a, a few years ago on one of the TV networks that actually said, I, I don't. There's really no more lone wolf sort of offenders out there. I think Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, uh, living in his cabin in the middle of nowhere, he may have been sort of the last lone wolf uh, serial offender or murderer out there. Everyone else now has, you know, even if they live by themselves and are very much isolated, they still have the Internet and they live and they breathe off of that, probably eating their sandwich or their meal with one hand while they're typing with the other, uh, living by themselves in their mother's basement, whatever. They're the ones uh, who are not lone wolves. They're getting instructions directly or indirectly from other entities uh, in this country and, and around the world. And it makes for a very, uh, a very dangerous time. And I, I certainly hope our, our former colleagues, those still working now in all these various agencies are, uh, are doing their best to keep us safe. I know they are. I just hope, uh, I hope even the politicians above them aren't saying, well, don't check this group out and don't check that group out. They have protected status here. And I don't think that really holds water in a time of war and when babies are being beheaded uh, by these by these terrorists. And that's what they are. You know, Jim, um, 
the lone wolf you mentioned, and I'm going to explain, at least in my, and how, what I feel, kind of define what a lone wolf is. But I think what is something that everybody needs to know is that there's such a concern about this lone wolf person. And that's why we talked a little bit about people coming into this country from different countries and they have no attachment. But Director Ray, this weekend, uh, actually Saturday, was at the IACP conference. IACP is the International Association of Chiefs of Police. I go to that every year, but I did not go this year because of some family obligations. But he spoke, and he spoke just of this, lone wolf. And I know our audience says, I heard that terminology, lone wolf, but what really is it? And it really should be defined as an individual acting alone with minimal support. Sometimes no one, but sometimes he has one or two people. And it's always to further a political, social, religious, financial, or some other related goal of when they don't have any objective. But nevertheless, it has the same effect or potential effect upon a government, upon society, business, the military, in terms of creating fear, disrupting daily life, causing government, society, and business, and the military to react in a heightened security uh, situation. And that's just what happened this Friday that you talked about, this global jihad. It, everybody heard about it. It was on the news, all over social media. It was amazing. And, you know, you mentioned you don't really see these uh, lone wolf individuals. Well, uh, I did a little research, and I found that over the last maybe 10 or 15 years, there's been 45 attacks, lone wolf attacks, uh, and they killed 55 people and injured 126. These attacks not only involved firearms, there were bombs, but there were airplanes, biological weapons, knives, construction equipment. In short, they've kind of expanded their arsenal a little bit here. Uh, the report uh, was not published by the Department of Justice or anything to do with them, but you look at it, and the weaponry from post-9-11 has kind of expanded. Now you're getting these multiple attackers, and let's take a look at a couple of these things. When you look at this, they include uh, a lone mass murderers uh, who killed 13 people and injured 30 in 2009 at Fort Hood. There was another one, and I, I don't mention their names because I don't think we need to mention their names, but there was another one that killed six and wounded 13 in Tucson, Arizona in 2011. And how about the lone wolf who killed six and wounded four in 2012 at the Sikh Temple in Oak Creek, Wisconsin? So I gave you, you know, different areas of the country where this has happened and continues to happen up to today when you look at these mass shooters. And we talked about that in one of our previous uh, podcasts where we talked about individuals engaging uh, in mass murder at what uh, the media likes to call them as active shooters. Mm -hmm. And we said, you know, and how the thing is, is we say, and we always say to you, how can you prevent or how can you protect yourself with one of these situations? Although the although these individuals are lone wolves, there's a thing we like to call, and Jimmy and I talk about it, is called leakage. They leak behavior, okay? And a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, if you pay close attention, you'll see bizarre behavior or odd behavior that is not conducive to what someone should be doing. And instead of ignoring it, you need to tell somebody. You need to let law enforcement know. That's the key. I you have to be is. careful, though, Ray, because if you can get in trouble if you report on someone because they look different than you, it better involve some kind of activity. Well, Jim, you know what? I, I think, uh, to me, uh, I'm going to say I disagree with that because I think that doesn't matter. You know, you're not, you know, uh, blasting it out on social media. You're not going on TV saying this. What you're doing is you're letting law enforcement know, let them make that decision. They'll, they'll, they have enough information where they can make that decision. But if you feel uncomfortable with anything, I think you should let somebody know about it. Don't be afraid about, I don't want to be a tattletale. I don't want to be someone that's kind of pulling the trigger. I don't want to be someone that's 
you know, a negative Nancy. I don't want to be that person. I'm just saying in today's environment, we need to take a more proactive approach in, in our communities. We really do. Well, we can leave this section with this. Um, um, I don't believe anyone is truly a lone wolf uh, nowadays. They have so much influence uh, digitally online, as I stated a few minutes ago. I'm worried about them, and they are probably going to strike. Um, who knows by the time this episode even drops. What I'm also worried about is how we started this episode, and that is using, I'll use the term, wolf packs. Now, ideally in the wilderness, that's how wolves hunt. That's how they capture their prey. They don't do it for harassment purposes or or just to uh, terrorize other creatures. They do it, of course, to eat. Um, and there's different factors involved when these types of people uh, take these uh, murderous actions today. But the point is, look out for the wolf pack. But I have a feeling, look out for the lone wolf, I should say. But I have a feeling we're going to see some wolf packs before long and not just the five or 10 that are in the wolf packs in the wild, but perhaps upwards of dozens, if not hundreds, operating at the same time, possibly even this country. Ray, every once in a while on this show and in other conversations, I say, you know what, to myself, Fitz, I hope you're wrong about this. I do want to be wrong. Call me out a year from now, say, Fitz, you were wrong. Say, okay, all I'm telling you and my colleagues in law enforcement, keep your eyes and ears open for this stuff. And as Ray, as you just said, don't be afraid to report it if you see something a little funky or, a, you know, a group of people that maybe, you know, weren't associating or hanging out at a place before. And uh, let's give our law enforcement folks and down the line, conceivably even our military, the heads up they need before this uh, these actions can uh, come to fruition. Just remember, and, and then we'll go here, is that, uh, and I always said this in the Bureau, that I was only as good as the information that was provided to me. Sure. And that information came from informants. It came from good people in the public. But it's you and the public that actually help the military and law enforcement do their job. And they do it better when everybody's involved. We're never going to beat this whole thing by just saying, that's their problem. Let them do it. we got to get everybody involved. This is everybody's problem, not just law enforcement and the military. Let's stick together. Let's work together. It's it's the best thing for everybody. And prayers and positive thoughts to all those in Israel who have uh, uh, suffered and as they are suffering. And we want, ideally, no one should die from this point on. That's the ideal scenario on either side of this conflict. But I have a feeling that's not going to be the case. And uh, and the history is complicated. I remember being a 10-year-old boy and my dad, he didn't go past high school in terms of education. Dad, what's this happening over this place called the Middle East? Said, son, they've been fighting for thousands of years. It won't be resolved in my lifetime and probably not yours. And here, a number of decades later, uh, this type of killing and uh, uh, barbaric behavior still is uh, being undertaken. And uh be nice someday. I thought we were coming close about three or four or five years ago. But um, but um, pallets of money being sent in the back of C-130 aircraft, well, yeah. who knows where that wound up and... Who knows if that paid for the weaponry used against the Israelis and perhaps us someday. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. But enough politics. Exactly. So let me throw this out to you. Um, I, I got it. Reading, good catch. I was reading uh, about a situation out on the West Coast um, where two individuals in separate instances, one north of L.A. and one in San Diego, were arrested for selling military information to China. Um, what did you hear about that, Jeff? Yeah, I, I certainly been following it in the media, and obviously our, our former colleagues in the FBI are tight-lipped about this, and I would never ask them otherwise. But uh, it's a, uh, a, a, a serious problem within our federal government and within our military that, uh, that has to be... Uh, uh, constantly watched and constantly supervised and constantly prevented. And that is with uh, uh, the intelligence groups, intelligence uh, workers in other countries trying to um, uh, get inside our intel agency, our military, even our law enforcement, to try to get state secrets and military secrets. And uh, 
it, 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 it's been happening since the earliest days of, uh, you know, the, uh, the Greek armies and the Roman armies. And it's certainly happening, uh, today, even with all the modern technology we have, because these other, these other countries want to learn about our modern technology. So yeah, there's at least, uh, a one petty officer. I believe he was a machinist of some sort in, uh, San Diego. And he was charged with espionage and passing sensitive military information. He's under arrest, of course, and, and, uh, to be indicted. And uh, we don't, again, I don't need to put names out there. He's 22 years old and apparently he's made tens, tens of thousands of dollars is how the media uh, site put it, which I'm sure all this comes from the affidavit uh, about his uh, indictment. So uh, lots of money to be made by this young man. <clears throat> he was approached by a Chinese Intel operative. And it so happens this person was a Chinese uh, born, uh, but uh, naturalized U.S. citizen. Now, we're not casting aspersion on naturalized citizens. They make up great military people and, and law enforcement folks. But I presumably some countries look at them as possibly being the weak link and, you know, do it for the, the motherland or whatever the equivalent is in the Chinese language uh, or the fatherland, as they would say about Germany back in the day. So it's it's a it's a, a difficult problem. And uh, it had to do with all kinds of secrets of the number of troops on these certain uh, types of uh, of ships and and uh, and even aircraft. How many Marines will be deployed at a certain location? And that was the person in San Diego. Then, as you said, there was a 26 year old sailor, uh, also a petty officer. He was a construction uh, um, electrician. He was in the L.A. area and he was charged for accepting bribes for spying for the People's Republic of China. So both of these uh, men are under arrest, whether they're linked at all. So far, we don't know that, but I wouldn't be surprised the same intelligence officer for the PRC uh, was involved, uh, or, or at least that same group was involved in working both these men over the last few years. So weak link in the chain, uh, they were found, identified, uh, sold a bill of goods, and, uh, and uh, they took the money to sell state secrets. And that's never a good thing. Jim, you know, the one in um, north of L.A., who's a petty officer, he only received just under $15,000. He was approached by an intelligence offer, officer from China. Uh, this guy was a naturalized. He was going through in February of 2022. He was going through uh, to become a naturalized citizen. He started, he was approached in August of 21 up to this past May, and he was providing information, and he wasn't sure he wanted to do it. So guess who he does? Because he's young, he's only 26. He talks to his mother, and his mother says, you should do this. She eggs him on to do this, saying, you never know when you finish your government service, it may help you land a job with the Chinese government. Well, and I read that, and I, I looked at that, and I went, are you kidding me? So there is my point when we go back to talking about some of the people that are coming into this country. Where is their allegiance? There's an individual that is of military age where they could serve in our military. But I, that, that is my concern is these individuals that are in our military, where is their allegiance? I'm just not sure. Yeah, in the old days, it would be a young, attractive uh, woman, perhaps, that would seduce these men and get the secrets out of them that way. Here in this case, it's a mother, didn't physically seduce him, but seduced him into spying on his, his adopted country for his birth country, I suppose. And, uh, She's not the one going to do the jail time. Maybe she will eventually if she's could be linked in as a co-conspirator. Hold up, Jill. I, I, Jim, I didn't that happen to a congressman with a very good-looking um, Chinese national? I think you mean um, Feinstein, who just died. No, 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 no. I'm talking about somebody else. Oh, the other that was a she had a driver from China for like 20 years. This is Eric Swalwell, I believe. Eric he Swalwell. was dating. Yeah, I know I wasn't going to mention any names. You we can mention politicians names. That's that's OK, okay. but just not serial killers or mass murderers. Right. Here's this guy that uh, is in North L.A. 
He's making recordings and providing photographs of potential large-scale operations of U.S. military exercises in the Indo-Pacific region, which is right near China. And he gives detailed locations and the timing of naval force movements, amphibious landings, maritime operations, I mean, logistic supports. How many people's lives, American lives, did he put in jeopardy because he did this? And just to be clear, we're talking about the sailor, not the congressman. So we kind of, the segue wasn't real clear. I have no idea what the congressman told his person. I'm not going to go there. uh, On on pillow talk. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you're right. There are lives put at risk here. And uh, this is how the Chinese operate. And no one's picking on individual Chinese folks that are here working hard and doing their thing every day. But it's uh, the PRC, their intel, uh, uh, their spies, essentially. They're working really hard to get this kind of information, industrial information, steal, uh, you know, corporate secrets, all those things, and certainly get it out of the, our military uh, uh, individual officers, as well as uh, scientific equipment, uh, you know, missile technology, submarine, you know, uh, yep. pr- propulsion systems. I mean, you name it. This is what they uh, this is what they go after. And it's again, it's been around for a while. And look, we have to be upfront here. The U.S. is probably doing it, too. Um, but um, uh, but it, it's tough when we have a naturalized citizen that we sort of allow into our country and allow them to become a citizen. And they're uh, and they're not only turning their backs on us, but they're actually kicking us in the butt and saying, well, take this, U.S. You may have adopted me, but uh, I'm giving this information to my real parents and, uh, you know, go screw yourself. So these guys are going to be in a prison for a long time. I hope the mother who encouraged her son to uh, to undertake this activity, uh, you know, sends him uh, nice letters, uh, you know, through the prison mail, and uh, and he uh, he lives a life, a nice life there. But eventually, here's what's going to happen: the Chinese are going to arrest some Americans. They may or may not be actual spies. We don't know. Uh, and then somewhere a year or two or five down the line, there'll be some agreement where one or both of these guys gets released to China and a few of our people who may or may not have been spies will get released to us. That's how these things, that's how these things works. Spies aren't being executed anymore, at least not in these types of cases. So um, we'll see where it goes, but maybe this is a good time, Ray. Uh, I never actually worked a spy case in the uh, FBI, but I actually was hanging out with a spy for a while and I didn't know it. And that was Earl Pitts. Um, he was a spy. He was an FBI agent. He was in the New York City office. He made about $100,000 there in the late 1980s uh, working for the former Soviet Union and their spy apparatus. Uh, after a few years, he uh, things dried up there. He transferred to the Washington field office. Then uh, in the uh, mid-1990s, when the Soviet Union collapsed, they no longer existed. They became Russia again. Uh, some people flipped, gave our intel sources information of who was, you know, spying and said, hey, you got this guy, Earl Pitts. So the Bureau put a whole sort of um, undercover operation together and they put Earl Pitts in the behavioral science unit. And I had just come back from Unibom. This is actually a chapter in my fourth book, which will be out early next year. And uh, I actually hung out with him a, li- a little bit. We would eat lunch at the same table. And uh, he, I went to his office to get uh, the, the the times and the dates of the next shoot. You know, we have to qualify four times a year on the pistol range. And he seemed like an okay guy. Then all of a sudden, he gets arrested. I'll never forget, it went out. You probably received this email, Ray. Yeah. It was December of 96. An all-bureau email went out by Director Free saying, uh, everyone, just so you know, um, there was a uh, an agent in the behavioral unit arrested for espionage against the Russians or with the Russians, et cetera, et cetera. But they didn't put his name in for the first few hours. And my phone starts ringing off the hook. First, Fitz, are you okay? Hey, Fitz, uh, what's new? And I said, "Uh, yeah, I read it too. It's not me. I don't know who it is yet, but within an hour or two, uh, uh, it was out that it was Earl Pitts. So he did his time. He pleaded guilty. And he eventually got out of prison in, uh, I have it written here somewhere, but I think in 2019. So he's out doing his thing now. And, uh, and of course, we know about Robert Hansen. That movie Breach was made about him. 
Yeah, I remember uh, I was at the very first uh, IHIA, what IHIA is, International Homicide Investigation Association. The very first one, I believe it was 1993. It was the very first one. I still go to those as well. And uh, I'm down there with two individuals um, from Philly PD, Philadelphia Homicide Unit, John Appledorn, uh, who been around for ages and uh they call us down into the auditorium we're down in quantico and they call us in the auditorium uh there's no classes we're not meeting you have to come down to the auditorium you got to be there by 9 a.m so we have no idea there's an announcement the whole auditorium is full with everybody at the fbi academy new agents old agents instructors everybody's there and uh there's a thing that comes up on the screen and it's the fbi director Again, Louis Free. And he talks about it and he says, uh, we just made an arrest of Robert Hansen. And uh, Robert Hansen was selling information to the Russians and uh, or to the Soviet Union at that time. And uh, we were floored. We were floored at that. But, Jim, my concern is with these two uh, naval personnel that were uh, that were caught. A great job by the FBI in in doing that. Absolutely. What concerns me is I know it's kind of it's kind of obvious that they were Chinese nationals, but how were they earmarked? How were they earmarked by Chinese intelligence? What are they finding about these individuals that says, hey? Uh, this Jim Fitzgerald would be a good target. You should go talk to him. You could probably get him to do something for you. What is it about them that they're using in order to do this? I know there's a lot of things that we've, we've learned in interviewing, and uh, but this is a little bit different. So they're going, I think they're, I think what they really do is they go into the background of these people and they look and they find out what is it about these people. And that's why when we came into the Bureau, I remember before we got our clearance, that's why they do this. Our background investigations were so extraneous. I mean, it was our pa- the paper we had to fill out was like writing a book. It was about 40 pages, 30 to 40 pages. We had to put down everybody we knew from the time we could know who we were at seven years old, where we went to elementary school, all these things. And they go back into our background and they talk to people. And I remember uh background investigators coming to me and i did it as well when we did some uh background investigations i go up to uh some people and i say hey jim can you tell me about um robert hansen and jim would tell me and everything jim's going to tell me is going to be glowing because that's who robert hansen wanted me to talk to so then i say to jim jim is there anybody that you know that may know robert hansen as well and jim may say oh yeah you can talk to this person that person and then I may go to those, those people, and they may give me glowing reports, and I may say, do you guys know somebody? And then I'll go back and, and uh, talk to those people, and then something may come up in their background that's going to say, hey, that could be used down the road that may coerce them. So the, the FBI, when we're doing our background investigations, even for politicians, when they're getting appointed, judges, uh, when the president makes appointments, we're always looking into the background to make sure that there's nothing in their background that could be used to coerce them or to do something that they shouldn't do to go against this country. And these people have done this. And I think Hanson uh, and Pitts, they just did it because they were greedy. They were looking for a little bit extra money. Uh, and some of these other people, uh, I, one guy's doing it because he's hoping to get a job with the Chinese government. What, are you kidding me? What's he think that uh, we're going to all be speaking Chinese here? I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. When you see this, and it and it's the most egregious thing a person could do is gain the trust of the uh, of this country, and then to be in a position to protect it, only to betray it. And it, it really makes me sick. Well, don't fool yourself. It's a full time job for the spies and the intel operatives working oh, yeah. in this country to identify. Again, I'll use the term the weak links in the chain. And uh, it's been going on for a millennia. Uh, I, I, I would have to think it's easier now with social media. Uh, you could look at someone's uh, postings, 
you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. The, I mean, Chinese government runs TikTok. I don't think we have to remind yeah. our, uh, our audience of that and that they monitor every single thing that someone puts on there and they see that one weak personality issue. I'll tell you what else bothers me. And, uh, it, <laughs> I won't even name the agency, but there's an alphabet agency in DC pretty much, uh, you know, uh, on the, on the same equal par as the FBI. So you can rule that one out. But they were, I, I saw some advertising and they were doing on social media and they bring in an, a, an, a, an operative from that particular agency. And she's talking that she has some mental health issues and she has, she suffers from, you know, anxiety and depression. And I respect that. I get that. Maybe it's still okay that she's hired by this agency, but do you have to put that out publicly? to the world and these 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 enemies of ours would see someone like her and they wouldn't just knock on the door hey i heard you're depressed and anxious no they would be a slow uh incremental you know approach to this person in a parking lot in a restaurant hi how are you and they just play on these weaknesses and again i'm not yep. saying people shouldn't be hired who maybe have some mental health issues they have to be carefully you know, vetted and, and looked into with their meds and everything like that. But at the same time, I know we want to be inclusive and diverse and all that stuff, but I don't think we have to advertise that it's not only who we're looking for, but the people now on the job. It makes them a target. And that is the most important aspect uh, or uh, of what I'm trying to say here. We don't need any more targets. We don't have to make it any easier for our enemies than perhaps it is already with social media and, and just quite frankly, just following some people around sometimes, they can get a lot of information about their habits. So uh, yeah, that's a full-time job with uh, people in the military and even in the uh, FBI and other agencies that uh, these spies will wanna get close to them and try to get the information they can. If they're, I mean, now in the old days, if you were gay and say in the FBI, that could be a way of, uh, of uh, uh of uh, attracting someone but if you're um you know now that's you know you know don't ask don't tell whatever no big deal there but there's other factors so now a gay guy could you know a spy could hit on a gay fbi person or a straight woman could hit on a straight guy or vice versa and look for weaknesses and they'll take they'll take months if not a year or two to groom okay. someone to get that information they really have it down certainly to an art, but certainly borrowing from science. And um, look, I was a profiler and I, we would have these intel folks from the FBI, from our own agency come in and say, here's someone we're trying to recruit. And we think this person has information about this. And they're usually from another country. What kind of, uh, you know, what kind of approach can we use? And, uh, and you know, we would help them. There's, and there's separate uh, units now that do that more than we, we profilers did back in the day. But yeah, you know, we try to do that too. Um, so everyone has to be on guard in this, uh, in this sense. And we don't, uh, if you're out there, you're in the military or uh, you're in these working Intel stuff, be prepared for that strange person that walks up to you or that odd email. Uh, and you know, they could just be targeting you to get information from you. And no matter how good it looks, no matter how many student loans they help you pay off, it's not worth going to jail for the rest of your life. You know, speak about targeting. I, I think we're pretty good here. I want to kind of jump over to uh, something that I found out about. I was sitting down, and this is happening in Philadelphia, but I think it can be applicable to just about anybody. Um, this past weekend in Philadelphia, in a four-block radius, there were two rapes. But they weren't the type of rapes that you would think, but the Philadelphia Sex Crimes Unit, is concerned about escalation and that the individual could become a serial rapist. And, you know, when you talk about serial, talking about three or more. But just to give you a little background here, on Saturday, October 14th, at 3 o'clock in the morning, a woman uh, is inside her vehicle at a traffic light. And she's approached uh, at the traffic light by an individual who points a small black handgun and asks for money. So in actuality, it's a robbery. Um, the woman gives this person 20 bucks, which is all she had. 
and he orders her to unlock her car doors. He then gets into her vehicle and makes her drive about six blocks to where he sexually assaulted her. And then he drives her to an ATM machine and has her take out more cash. Um, so my point is there is situational awareness. And you think to yourself, at 3 o'clock in the morning, there's not a whole lot of traffic out. So there's a lack of guardianship, which allows this person to kind of run almost unfeathered, allowing them to do what he wants. Then this same individual, who the police believe is the same individual, on Sunday at 5 p.m., it's daylight out. It's light. It's light out. And it's not dark yet. We're not in, in uh, January where at 4.30 it's dark. He goes up to another woman. Uh, probably about four blocks from the previous assault. And this woman is walking out on the street. He approaches her, and this time he points a silver handgun at her, and he asks for money. She gives him 25 bucks and some prescription medication, and then he forces her into an alleyway, which is right off of the street where he stopped her at. And he sexually assaults her. So the police, based on the descriptions, the thing that gets me is that a silver gun and a black gun. Most of these offenders out there don't have an arsenal of weapons. So that's my first concern. My second concern is that I don't believe the sexual assault was the primary motive here. I believe the robbery was the primary motive. The sexual assault just came on, but they believe based on the physical description that this individual was the same individual. So I want to just get your thoughts. I know you don't have a whole lot of information on this, Jim, but I just wanted to throw it out to you and get your thoughts on this. What do you What do you think? Well, first of all, in terms of the gun description, I've had plenty of guns described to me that, you know, they were off a bit. Uh, certainly bank robberies, every gun was you know, a 10 inch barrel, whatever. And in many cases, it was a, you know, a 32 or a 38. But that's OK. If a gun pointed at you, you're going to be scared. So whether it was black or silver, you know, Within the same neighborhood, four blocks, uh, what's the 14 hours apart, granted morning and then, you know, late afternoon, you know, robbery and rape, the odds are it's uh, it's the same person. Of course, I need more details, but uh, DNA, if DNA was left behind, that will certainly uh, be proved positive if it, if it in fact is the same person, the overall description of those type things. So uh, it sounds like we have the makings of a serial rapist here. Um, now, there may have been some other rape slash robberies that have gone unreported, or perhaps the police just didn't pick up on them yet. That predates the 3 a.m. one. Uh, so, uh, you know, this 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 could actually be a I'm not even sure what the number is now. I think the FBI says two two offenses uh, could be serial now, but that doesn't matter. But it's at least two. And um, while neither of us have all the facts, you would have to certainly a presumption would be that they're related. And either way, uh, this is this guy's hunting grounds, this, this four-block area, wherever this is. Now, he certainly can expand a bit, uh, and he probably will, but uh, that's going to be his sort of home base, it seems. And I wouldn't be surprised if he lives or works or past tense lived or worked somewhere uh, within there. But, yeah, when, you, when you're in a car at 3 a.m., first of all, almost nothing good can happen to you. Perhaps this person was coming from work out for very legitimate reasons, but I hope her radio wasn't blasting. I hope she wasn't on her cell phone talking to someone. You're going to be stopped in an intersection, quite frankly, in almost any large city now in the U.S. You better have eyes all around you. And with your mirrors, you know, two sets of mirrors in a car or two separate mirrors, you do have those eyes behind you. And you know what? Someone walks up to you acting kind of strangely. Your windows better be up. Your car door better be locked. And you know what? It's okay to run the red light then. Just make sure no other cars are coming and just take off uh, because you don't want this guy getting inside your car at all. If someone gets inside your car, they really control you at that point. It's like I always tell people like in a home invasion or something in a park somewhere, if they put handcuffs on you or rope or the plastic electrical ties, statistically speaking, over the years, you're going to be killed. Or, or really, really, really uh, something bad is going to happen to you. 
And it's almost like they bring out those kind of binds to to put your hands and your feet together. It's almost worth just fighting to the death then because you're probably going to wind up there anyway. But let's go back to the car situation. Just hit the gas and take off. Hopefully nothing's coming. And that person will have to either go home empty-handed uh, or, or find another victim, which it's very likely, depending on how desperate he is, he will. So uh, I'll be really curious to see how this, this one plays out. Um, I, I'm not going to second guess the driver of that car, but, you know, if, whether she's blocked in, blocked in by two other cars and, you know, all she really had to do was blow the horn. And that probably would have scared the guy and uh, keep the window open and uh, and just try to duck and take off somehow. The person walking on the street, still daylight. Um, this person is really, I'll use the word ballsy and uh, to confront a person that time of day. Of course, if he knows the neighborhood, he knows where a, an alley is. He knows he has protection. Uh, he's going to try that anyway. So I'd say, you know, I, I wasn't aware of this case before we talked a little bit, Ray, before our episode tonight. And I would say my early profile is this guy, uh, he's familiar with the neighborhood. He knows how to get around. He probably lives within walking distance of that. And that's where he's, he's done something like this before. Burglaries, peeping Tom something like that, physical assault of people, specifically women, and uh, they're going to have his name in the records book somewhere. It's just a question of of collating it and putting it all together and hopefully getting him off the street before long. I hope the police are putting this information out in the media and the people in this area know about this. They are, Jim, and, and I have to say I think your your assessment is spot on, and I think your advice to this to our listeners is also spot on. You, your best self-defense, ladies and gentlemen, in situations like this is your situational awareness. You know, head on a swivel, especially when you're by yourself and always looking, always being aware of your surroundings. That's your best self-defense. And you always have to talk. We, we talk about, and we talked about this before, that you have to almost prepare yourself before something like this happens. You can't say, if it happens, I'll do this. You have to say, when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, you have to go over that in your mind. So there's no second guessing. There's just reaction to it. You don't want to think about, because the longer you wait to make a decision, uh, the more of a chance you're going to become a victim. And Jim is so right about that. So you've got to make a decision here, y'all. And, uh, and I pray that you do. And we may have a surprise. We're in contact with an old friend Jim and I have. We're not going to give you too much, but he has a lot more insight into this type of crime. And we hope to have him on in about three weeks. So we will be, uh, we'll let you know, but uh, he's uh, he's an oldie, but he's a goodie. So uh, he's <laughs> Like us, right? Was that just like us, Jim? Yeah. Oldies, well, but goodies. speaking of that case, that's an early chapter in the fourth book I'm writing now. And Ray, uh, you and I have been talking. We have some of our Cold Red fans contacting us. And I know our producers, and um, they're interested in our books. And you know what? The Christmas season, the holiday season is coming up. And either treat yourself or you may want to consider uh, treating um, some friends and family members of yours. Ray, tell us about your book and how we can get it. Uh, the title of my book is 30 Years on the Run, The Hunt for the Most Prolific Bank Robber in History. And uh, it's, it's, uh, I've been told it's a very good read. It uh, is. I'll leave that up to you, though. I'll leave that it up is. to you to be the uh, to be the judge of that. But uh, it's been so good that there's been some uh, there's been some interest uh, from the people out west in Hollywood. So we'll see what happens with that, um, and we'll see where that goes. So they think it's good. So if they think it's good, then I'm sure you will too. So we'll let you know if something uh, something materializes about this down the road, which I hope it does. But with that, and I know Jim has written several books. Uh, and by the way, you can get my book on Amazon.com or at Book Baby, or you can go to my website, RaymondCard.com, and you can order it right from there as well. But Jim has written a series of four books. He's in the process of his fourth book. I've read three of them. Uh, I'm in a couple of them and a couple different things with them. And uh, except for the first one, I didn't know him when he was a kid, uh, which is, what was that, back in the 40s, Jim? I'm not that old. Maybe you are. 
<laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just kidding you, bud. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your books, Jim, and, and how we can get those? Yeah, I know I'm in your book because we interviewed uh, the 30-year bank robber. We actually yes. put a video together, and that's uh, it was really your job that, uh, that that led to the arrest or your work. But I was glad to kind of fill in some bits and pieces there along the way. And it's a great read. And, yeah, it's going to be a great miniseries or movie one of these days. Yeah, um, I wrote three books in five years. Uh, it was all going to be one book, but then I decided to make it three because I just enjoyed what I was doing. I was getting positive feedback. They're all three called A Journey to the Center of the Mind. And the first book's about me growing up in Philly, doing things right, doing things wrong. Just I wanted to capture the 60s and the early 70s in a big city, uh, including going to Catholic school and what the nuns used to do to us and, and some of the priests, too. Uh, and, uh, and it ends with me graduating from the Pennsylvania State Police Academy, where I did my Ben Salem police training there. Book two is all about my 11 years from the Ben Salem Police Department, car chases, gunplay, fistfights, knife fights, arresting bad guys, but also the politics within a medium-sized police department and how and how really bad it got over a few years there, including involving some lawsuits of which I was involved. But uh, I came out on the positive side there. And the third book, um, A Journey to the Center of the Mind, book three, is about my first day at the FBI Academy. And... Uh, and uh, and going to New York City in my seven years there. And the last long chapter uh, and very detailed chapter, chapter 20, is all about my role in the Unabom case. So, uh, so yeah, check the books out uh, for yourself, for others. Uh, go to my website, jamesrfitzgerald.com. Uh, my books are available in regular paper. Uh, they're also digital. And the third book is, um, is uh, there's actually an audio book to it. Uh, I didn't narrate that one. People said, hey, Fitz, book three is great. It was even nominated for an award for the best audio book in true crime. But everyone said, next time, do your own book. Narrate yourself. So I'm doing book four right now, and I am narrating it. And lastly, and Ray, I know you're coming up with one of these. I got a cool poster here. It's actually cardboard. There's our cold red logo. There's my Fitz Files thing, mini series, and a little cover of me. And, of course, I'll sign this for you. And if you want to put up on a wall, a refrigerator, keep the rats away in your basement, whatever it takes. But uh, I know, Ray, you're coming up with something like that, too, for your fans. So, uh, well, they're so also yeah, folks. Dartboards, Jim. There you go. And if you hit fits, you uh, you win. Exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, everybody. Uh, Jim, you have any closing closing words for us? No, it's no guest tonight, Ray, but it's nice every four or six episodes that's just you and I, I have a chance to chat. And we'll do this our last episode of season two to wrap up sort of everything we've been through in, in season two. And just thanks, everybody, for uh, for uh, for listening to us, for watching us, YouTube, the other social media sites. And, Ray, uh, Ray, take us out here. Well, listen, I want to thank you all for joining us and uh, joining both myself and Fitz. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Cold Red. Make sure you follow us on all the social media platforms. We're out there. And if you got something you want to talk to us, just send us a message through our website, uh, Cold Red, and uh, we'd be more than happy to get back to you all. Take Cold care. Red, coldredpodcast.com. Thanks, Jim. Take See care, you, everyone. everyone. See you next time.